The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum. The theme was relationships, and the Relational Discipleship Network hosted a track called Relational Disciple Shift, How to Shift Your Church and Culture. That's where today's episode was recorded. And we've got a free giveaway that you can download by Jim Putman, who is one of the founders of the Relational Discipleship Network. He and his team have helped train thousands of pastors to make disciples in America and around the world. And he's released for our audience a primer for one of his books called The Death of Discipleship. In this book, Jim with his co-author describes the dynamics of pride and humility in discipleship and what godly submission looks like. You can download this for free by going to discipleship.org slash relational. That's discipleship.org slash relational. Now here's today's track session from the Relational Discipleship Network. This is really meant to be um, kind of like a roadmap, uh, a journey. All right. So we used a, a metaphor analogy people can understand. The first is spiritual maturity, and if you look up here, and I don't know if you can see it, but it's like the destination on a journey. If I'm going from Post Falls to Seattle, Seattle would be my destination. If I'm going to make disciples, and our church is going to make disciples, then we have to have the right definition, and we've got to get there together if it's a church, right? So we have to have a shared right definition of what spiritual maturity is. So we talked about what is spiritual maturity, the destination first. Then we talked about an intentional leader. When you get saved, um, hopefully somebody invited you into a relationship, a discipleship relationship. You just invite you to church and you went forward, although that happens a lot. What we believe is that you have been, since you got saved, in a relational environment. It's like the car with an intentional leader who's actually driven you on the roadmap to spiritual maturity to the destination, now you have been told and agree and understand that you are an intentional leader who is going to invite people into a relational environment to go down the, the roadmap, the stages of the journey towards spiritual maturity. The more people you have that understand the game, as a coach kind of a thing, understand the destination, understand who they are, understand how to operate a relational environment, and understand the stages and the road to get there. The more people you release from your church that know how to do that, the more people get saved. Not not only do people get saved, you truly experience God working in and through you. Rather than living vicariously through your pastor, which you can't do, you get to experience God. And not only are people coming to know Jesus, but you're constantly reminded of what Jesus does in the life of people. Instead of forgetting what Jesus did to you 30 years ago when you got saved, you get to constantly experience Jesus changing people. The power of Jesus reminds you of who you are, where you're at, where you came from. You're telling your testimony. You're seeing life's change. And you experience Jesus, and it just changes you. So this last stage is really, um, all right, as a leader, not only am, am I supposed to be a disciple maker, I don't ask people to do something that I don't do. I didn't graduate from leading discipleship groups to be a systems organizer. I am a systems organizer. That's true. I, my job is not just to be a disciple maker, but to equip the saints. Uh, I've been given the role of leadership, administration. My job is to create uh, a, 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 an environment where people can learn to be 
intentional leaders who are shooting for the right destination. That's my job, true, but I'm also a disciple maker myself. So we ask everybody else in the world to, to go to work, use that as your mission field, come to church and be a part of the body of Christ and make disciples. Why do I get to, how did I get to graduate from making disciples so I can operate a system? No, I'm still making disciples. On our staff, every one of you has a, what's called your ministry plan, where you're, develop, you're leading a disciple-making team, but you have your personal plan, which means you're actually making disciples too. Just like you want everybody else to work 40, whatever it is, if you're a business owner, it's way more than 40 hours a week. But then you want them to disciple their family and be a disciple-maker in the church and a part of the body of Christ. Why do you get to get out of that? We make disciples, and we have a job just like everybody else, all right? So what we're going to do right now is go, okay, we've been talking about discipleship happens best in relationship, which often leads to the question, how does Sunday morning fit into a disciple-making process? And we believe it does. We're not going, hey, go to organic church, house church movement, all that. It, it, listen, if... if the church became illegal, we'd have to do that. Question is, are, have you readied your people for that if it ever did happen? The early church gathered in groups as quickly as they could because there was the port, in the early church, they met in the temple courts and from house to house and for life on life. It was, there was a piece and importance in every part of that for the church. So we believe in a weekend service, but where does it fit and how does it fit? Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to talk about, are you leaving? You want me to keep going? <laughs> what just happened? You're, you're going to go about another 10 minutes, and then Bob will jump in. Okay. <laughs> Flexibility is so important in ministry. Ad adaptation, important. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. In our church, Bob's going to talk about the areas of alignment that need to, have, to happen, because we have four areas of alignment we talk about, and that's going to be in your notes. But I, what I want you to do is understand uh, the graph here. So having said that this is the overall roadmap, what does it look like to organize a church? And so uh, I, I want to say this. There's some parts of Christianity that happen best life on life. There's some parts of the faith that happen best in a group. There's some... Uh, in a small group, there's some parts of the faith that happen best when we collaborate our resources, time, and energy to do something together that we could not do as a small group or an individual. Let me give you an example. We feed 2,000 people a month in our community. We have two guys on staff that help with recovery because we have a huge drug and alcohol program and a huge need. We do job fairs and job training. We, do, we work together to do special needs for our community. There, those are some things that work best together, okay? Because now we can share money, resources, and all that. But life on life in small groups works best for discipleship. Not without the weekend service. Now, I, I was adapting. Now I'm going to adapt back. Hi, Bob. Why don't you come up? I'll, I'll do this part I was going to do after you do your part. I want you to come up. Did you have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> Are you at this age now where... <laughs> yeah, Jim has no room to talk. I've only had to go once, Jim. <laughs> 
All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go through these. Uh, uh, you can do that, right? I think I can. Yeah, okay. Let, let, me, let me share why Bob. Why Bob? Why Bob? Not, not what about Bob, but why Bob? Yeah. Here's, here's a why Bob. So Bob uh, is a senior pastor, and he came from a, a traditional church background. So he took over a church in Florida, Riverside Church. They were uh, over 100 years old. So he had went through the DS1, uh, Disciple Shift 1, up in Pulse Falls. That was two days. And he was expecting a big crowd. He didn't realize we limited to either 75 liters or 100 liters. He went through that. Coming out of that, he had a pretty strong conviction to go. He had to go in this direction. What Bob did that I think is really awesome is he had to go back to his church and walk through a leading change process and get people on board. And so what I like about you talking about this topic is you might want to share something about that journey. But what I love about you talking about this topic is how do you fit Sunday into a disciple-making strategy is one thing, but also at the same time, how do you shift a church as you do that? And so thanks for being here, Bob. Bob is also one of the coaches in our network that coaches. We limit the number of churches, so he'll coach like four churches. And so I appreciate you're willing to coach and give back. Thank you. Yep. Uh, so as, as uh, Luke mentioned, we did. We shifted the, the culture of a church um, to become a disciple-making church. And so one of the biggest things, that, as I've mentioned before, is the fact that it has to start with you. So before I was ever going to invite our church to go on this journey with us, I looked at our staff and our elders and I said, it starts with me personally, and it starts with us. If we don't live this stuff out together and walk this stuff out, we have nothing to export to the rest of the church. And I've had people say, well, what if you're an introvert? What if you're not really, you know, I hear guys all the time, I actually said it plenty of times, you know, you know, we love the church, we just, you know, if it wasn't for the people right? Uh, it'd be a pretty sweet gig if it wasn't for the people. Um, and, but the problem is that's who Christ has called us to love. And so that really exposes a whole lot more about us than it exposes about people. And so that had to be also a work that God had to do in my heart, because this isn't about extrovert, introvert. We're called to love God, love people, and walk this out and make disciples. So, uh, so when we talk about alignment, relational alignment, and how does Sunday fit, um, when we, when we talk about being in relationship and all that stuff, it is absolutely essential. So we leverage our Sunday, for us, we leverage our Sunday morning environment um, with, you know, we believe great biblical, applicable teaching, great worship, the whole deal. Um, but everything is driving people to not just sit and soak. We want them to get connected in community. And so constantly we're inviting people to be in relationship. My messages uh, are constantly filled with when, when Jesus calls us to be a disciple and he calls us to be a disciple maker. He does that in relationship. We, we just, it's over and over and over. It's all throughout my messages because we're constantly reminding people of why we do what we do. This is what we're going after, but it has to happen in relationship. We, would, we got rid of things in our church that were pretty sacred to people because it did not accomplish the mission of, a, of making disciples. Now, here's the challenge. People are going to try to make everything make that mission. Okay, they're going to try to have everything equate into disciple making. So you got to look at that kind of stuff. I was telling somebody earlier, we stopped doing Awanas at our church, right? I mean, like, that's the work of the devil. And so uh, to stop doing such a, it's a great program. It is. I, I actually went through Awanas when I was a kid. Uh, here's what we, here's the reasons why. It came back to values and mission. 
And this is why this stuff is so important. When you think if your mission is to go make disciples and like one of our values was servant leadership, Jesus came to serve and not be served. So we're, if we're going to model Jesus, we're going to be like Jesus, then we're also going to serve. We were killing our volunteers. We were killing our volunteers because pretty much the same people that were doing children's ministry on Sunday morning were also coming back and doing Awanas. And we just kept, and I'm saying, why don't we take the things that we value and love about Awana and implement that into our kids' ministry with the idea of valuing our people? And then let's say, let's actually put together uh, a ministry that we actually do what we say we believe. Our philosophy is the parents are the primary disciple makers of their kids. But our programming said, keep bringing them to us and we'll keep doing it for you. So when you think of alignment, your programs have to match your values and it has to match your philosophy and what you believe. And so what we chose to do instead is let's resource the parents, let's train the parents, let's give them the equipping that they need to be the disciple makers and let's quit doing it for them. But when we do have them, let's do it really, really well. And so it frees up our staff, our volunteers, and it gives the parents, finally, they felt like, man, now I kind of know what it means to disciple my kids. Because guess what? They were never discipled. So now you're telling them, go disciple your kids. They have no idea what that means. And so now we're trying to help them. And so if you'll turn to your, in, your, in your books to page 13, if you have your books, and it's, it, there's this target. And it, can, you, can we put it up on the screen? Is it up on the screen? Awesome. So if the target that we're all going after is making disciples of Jesus, we start with this, we start with relational, okay? So if, if, if relational, if relationship is this, is this key thing that we're trying to, to, to really value as a team, can you make, think about this, can you make a disciple of Jesus outside the context of relationship? I don't know you how you do it because Jesus didn't do it that way. So if we're going to make disciples of Jesus, it has to be done in relationship. The very first relationship we see in scripture is what? Most people automatically think God and Adam, Adam and Eve. The very first relationship we see in scripture is the triune God. So God exists in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So for us to do anything outside of relationship is actually we're doing something out, departing of design. And so when we think of the relational value and even the theological value, it has to be done in relationship. And so then, as you think of it, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about that, we talk about this value of we are going to fight for relationship, not in relationship. And so when we're having conversations and somebody's ticked off or somebody's frustrated and they're like, oh, you know, whatever, and no, 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 no. We go fight for that relationship. You're going to go meet with them. You're going to go spend time with them. Somebody's upset. You're going to have a conversation with them. Why? Because we fight for relationship because it's that valuable. When we have conversations at a staff level, my expectation is we are going to wrestle and battle this stuff out. We're not going to hide. We're not going to keep our opinions because that hurts team. We're going to be relationally aligned with the, with the elders, with the, you know, now I'm at a church. We have, we also have deacons with our small group leaders, with those that we're going to fight for Relationship. Somebody's hurt. They, they stop coming. We're going to go after them, not in an aggressive way. We're going to go after them because we're fighting for relationship. You know, one of the things that another relational value that drives us 
that I teach on a lot is we're committed to relational reconciliation, not just solving problems, right? Not just conflict resolution. And here's why this is so important. If you have this relational piece that you're trying to think through your organization, think through your church, if, if, if conflict resolution is your end goal, you're not guaranteed relational reconciliation because you can agree to disagree and you've never reconciled the relationship. Make sense? But if the relationship being reconciled is the end goal, which calls us to, right? Being ministers of reconciliation, it gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Then the issues get solved along the way because the ultimate goal is the relationship. That is the priority. So when you think about how does Sunday fit into all this, you're driving people into relationship. You know, we've, we've got a ton of people coming on Sunday. They're not, I'm in, I'm in a relationship with few people. They think they know, I mean, you know, hey, Pastor Bob, how you doing? You know, I don't even know, I'm trying to get to know people, but it's super difficult. Why? We're not in relationship. I'm in relationship with people in my small group. I'm in relationship with guys I'm discipling. I'm in relationship with my staff, our elders. But this is why this is so important that th- you're, you're having to make sure this is getting driven down all the way through your organization. So that's that relational alignment, making sure you're relationally aligned. The second piece is the philosophical alignment. Uh, when we, well, I went through that DS1, the stuff that's on the back of your book. One of them's in Houston. We'd love to have you down to our place. But uh, this, this piece really got me. So Luke uh, was actually one of our facilitators for a DS2. Okay, this is DS1. A DS2 is you get to elders and your staff in a, in a room for th- you know, like three or four days. And they're taking you through. And he says, okay, what's, everybody write down what's the purpose of the church. And I'm like, this is going to be easy. I, man, I'm always on top of vision. This is where we're going. This is what we're doing. This is who we are, right? I'm thinking this is going to be a piece of cake. He says, I want everybody to go up on the board and I want you to write it. And so each person goes up, and our, the mission at the time was, our mission as a church was going to be to love and live like Jesus. We changed it to make disciples who love and live like Jesus. But at the time, it was just to love and live like Jesus. And so I'm like, this is going to be easy. It's short. It's memorable. They're going to remember. It's going to be simple. There were, we had, I think at the time, we had 13 people in the room. So there's 13 statements, different things up there, right? And they have them all read them off. And I'm now just about coming out of my skin because I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. How in the world can we have 13 different statements up there for being the purpose of the church? And, and then Luke asked the question, he goes, and how many do you think, do you think you guys are all aligned? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, everybody's going, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm literally <laughs> I'm unclued. I'm like, and it's like, Bob, you have a question? I'm like, how in the world can we be aligned when there's 13 different statements? And they said, well, well, yeah, I mean, if, I mean, I guess if you thought, you know, well, I mean, the statement that we use all the time, I mean, if that's, the, if that's what you're talking about, I'm like, what else would we be talking about? But again, here, here's, the, here's the reason why this is so important. I hammered this thing constantly over and over and over and over. And the leaders of our church weren't aligned. They were using all kinds of statements, but they did not know or were not crystal clear. I obviously had not done a good enough job of making that super important to understand what we were all about. And, and literally, over that two, three-day journey, everybody became super crystal clear. Our mission as a church is to make disciples who love and live like Jesus, period. That's all we're going to do. 
And when the leadership and the staff and everybody was aligned philosophically, we understood that we have to, it's the only thing we have to do. Then all of a sudden it gave us energy and momentum to move forward because I was fighting battles before. And now all of a sudden we're all on the same page, using the same language, saying the same thing. Not giving permission to say, oh yeah, if you wanna say it that way, that's fine. Or, I mean, yeah, you know, I know that's important. Yeah, yeah, we'll just, if somebody comes through your door and asks your greeters, do they know? What's the purpose of the church? What's, what's the mission of your church? So you want relational alignment, you want philosophical alignment, theological alignment, absolutely important. Making sure everybody's crystal clear. You're not allowing somebody to divert. It's okay if there's, you know, minor, when I say minor belief, meaning it's not the, not the major oriented doctrines, but also having the maturity to understand when those conversations are had and when they're not. I've had to have those conversations with people that thought their small group was their opportunity to kind of preach their specific theological bent that was different than the church. And so there has to be accountability for that, right? They have to sign a covenant to say they're going to be in alignment. So there's accountability built in. Because here's the reality. A lot of people will not go towards our structure of small groups because of fear, because they want control. They're afraid of what's going to happen. And if Jesus did that with the disciples and the disciples hold, held on to everything, we wouldn't be here today. At some point, we've, all, we've got to put structures in place, but we also got to trust the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. And then we got to provide correction and discipline when things get out of line. But you do that, again, in relationship. So you have the relational, you have the philosophical, you have the theological, and then the last one is this organizational alignment. You have to put structure in place in order to succeed. So it's then saying, how do we, if, the, if, if, be, if making disciples that are gonna reproduce more disciples is critical, how are we gonna do that? And not just say, oh, we're just gonna stay organic, we're just gonna whatever, all that kind of stuff. No, no, you gotta put structure in place to make sure to lead to success. And so you're thinking through, what does my time look like? So we just had this conversation with our staff. So from, April, excuse me, from April to June, I was flying back and forth from Florida to Houston on the weekends. And I would, I'd fly in like on a Saturday morning uh, and then fly back out like on a Tuesday night. I did that from April to June and then I moved my family in July. So I would stay and so we would be talking about what are we doing over these next few weeks? Okay, who are you spending time with? Who are you discipling? What's going on? How's that working? We go over goals and objectives, all that kind of stuff. But I wanna know where your time is. And so I literally, this happened, I think last week, we're walking through some stuff and I said, guys, listen, when I'm gone, here's, here's what I want you to do. You're going to start working on the calendar for 2019 and all that kind of stuff. What's our mission? I'm not going to tell you what's our mission. Okay. They reverted back to us. Okay, great. So I said, that has to be reflected on our calendar. And I want to know in your schedules, I wanna know what that looks like in your schedules to make sure that if I'm evaluating your schedules that that is the priority. Remember, less is more. Less is more. So do less things, do them really well that are gonna accomplish the mission of making disciples. And so as you think through your budgets, does your budgeting reflect that you prioritize disciple making? Does your staffing Represent? Do you have a whole bunch of people in worship arts and you have one, one guy that does, it leads your small groups? What about for females? And you, if 70% if or 80% or 50% or whatever of your church is women, is that reflected in your staffing? 
to make sure that the women are being properly discipled by other women. So how is it that you are setting your staff structure to reflect the priorities of disciple making? To make sure that your, your budgeting, your time, uh, your, the, everything that you do works through the grid of making disciples. And so when you're trying to transition a church or like with Brandon and Jim, when they started the church and those kind of things, you've got to get alignment so that everything is moving you in the direction of the final target that you say you want to reach. And if you don't, you're not going to hit the target. It's all going to be wishful thinking. And let me tell you, this takes time. This didn't happen overnight. We're talking a couple years of just every year. This is, these were my top goals. These were my top priorities every year was trying to figure out where are we relationally unaligned? What do we need to spend time talking about? What do we need to spend time doing? Where do I need to provide more input, leadership, correction, you know, changes, whatever it is. Philosophically, how are we doing this? It took us a, long, it took us a while to do this m- missions. Look at every single ministry. We went through every single ministry Where are we not aligned in every single area? And having to have the hard conversations about why we're going to do this. Guess what? We lost people. Yeah. There wasn't this huge fanfare where people were throwing confetti as I came down the aisle with the new discipleship, you know, model. There were people that left. There were people that said incredibly hurtful things. There were people that think that, you know, you know, we just don't value uh, God's word enough. You know, we're, you know, it's more about relationship and kumbaya and all that stuff. Why? It's because they didn't get it. They didn't understand. They didn't want it. They, they didn't. I'm telling you, what we're inviting you to consider and to go after what Jesus invited us. What did he say? Count the cost. Count the cost. I remember one conversation, and I'll, I'll give it back to Jim. I remember one conversation with our elders we were talking this stuff out and we were, we were talking about the decision that we needed to make with this. And they said, Bob, if you do this, I said, whoa, 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 if what? If we do this, yes, okay. So if we do this, we're gonna lose some of the older people. And that's where the money is. We lived in a very affluent area. And he said, that, that's, that's where the money is. That, you know, these young kids, they don't have any money and da, 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 da. you know, they went all that stuff. And I said, man, that is a great point. So let me ask you, whose church is this? It's Jesus' church. I said, yep. Whose job is to grow Jesus' church? Jesus. I said, who, by the way, who owns all the money? Yeah, the Lord. I said, then how about we just do what Jesus tells us to do and we leave the issues up to Jesus to build and grow and finance his church? You good with that? I guess, you know? I said, all right, I'll take that as a yes. So we made the decision and we lost the people and giving went up. You explain that. Doesn't mean that's gonna happen every time. Doesn't mean that's gonna happen every time. I just go back to, if Jesus tells us to make disciples and to trust him and obey him, then let's just keep it simple and let's do that. And the alignment piece The alignment piece is absolutely essential if you want your church to be a reproducing, disciple-making church. Thank you, Bob. Can we give it up for Bob? What I love about Bob's heart is uh, at the, the size of this ship, 
would be the speed at which you turn. So when he says one to two years, Bob turned it slowly, and so it didn't lose near as many people as turning it like a speedboat. And so, Bob, appreciate your heart. Jim, a lot of, I know you're going to have a lot of questions, and so uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking it's, it away. Yeah. Answer ev- all the questions they have. Every single one. Um, okay. Uh, by the way, your graph that you're up there, we use this graph in a different way. Most churches, um, because the people are not actually disciples, everything happens. So you, you'll notice your graph is different than that graph. If you see that, it's, it, it's opposite. Most people, we build it and they come to us. So we start with an organizational picture. Right? And relationship happens the longer, hopefully, the longer, but a lot of times it doesn't happen. But when you release people who are mature in Christ, the first thing that the world sees is a relational face, which then leads them to the next, what are you guys doing? Why are you doing that? Philosophically, yeah, we're doing it in small groups. That's where you get to go to relationship. And then we start working on, at the same time, theology and the messages, everything else. And, and, and then finally, organizational. Now they understand your heart. When they understand your heart, they go, oh, so there's an order purpose for this. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, I don't like the organized church? Well, it's because the, it's organization for organization's sake. They don't understand the purpose of it. There's, there's no heart in it. But, but if there's a heart in it, then they go, oh, there's a purpose for the organization. The organization actually protects and promotes the heart. But when they stop knowing your heart, then it all of a sudden, the processes you have, the things you do, it's, it's all organization. It's all political. But when it's relationship on relationship, they don't make those statements because they know your heart. Make it, is that making any sense to you? No? Okay. It's after lunch, I know. All right. Let's talk about how it all works. I, I, I know this isn't, uh, not everybody can see this, but I think in terms of a funnel. I think in terms of a funnel. Now remember, I said certain things happen best life on life. You don't need to create an evangelism program for feeding people when you find out your next door neighbor doesn't have meal tonight because he lost his job. You don't need to send somebody down to the church. If you're walking with Jesus, you go down to the store, you buy him a bucket of KFC or whatever, and you walk over there, right? It's kind of like the welfare system where rather than, than um, us helping each other, we go, hey, I paid taxes, go down to welfare. That's what happens when churches start programs and, they, and the people don't understand it's both and. I'm going to minister wherever I go, but yeah, I also give, so some things we can do better together. Make sense to you? All right, so... But organizationally, what does it look like? So in our church, you've got the world here. And we have what's called bridges. Now, our bridges are when we mobilize the church to meet a need in the community. We meet them where they're at. We don't don't expect them to come to us. We go to them. So like we just did a big drive for, in, in, in Idaho, school teachers spend something like $600 a year for their students' supplies because parents, there's a lot of poor folks and they don't have supplies, so teachers actually don't get paid very much and they take it out of their own personal wallets. So we did a big drive and we had 100000 I think, dollars worth of stuff was given to the school teachers to meet the public school teachers' need. 
All right, so we rally together to bridge out in some activity, school supplies, that kind of thing. Uh, we have the Lifelines Ministry. We're the number one social service in Kootenai County. So we do food rooms. We created a thrift store. People bring their extra stuff. We sell it. It then $30,000 a month goes into helping single moms and people who are hurting. It's a bridge to help people. We have a recovery ministry. We have a sports ministry, a wrestling team. We have the, our little kids wrestling team has won the under 12 title three times. We knock the tar out of you in Jesus' name, then we help you back up. <laughs> and the, the coaches were all, all got saved in our church. And we have a waiting, we have 85 kids on the team. We have a lady, waiting list of over 100 kids. Every, and which is why all the high schools in our area are winning every state title because we started a little kids program that's feeding into all these programs, right? So you've, you've got bridges where people individually are doing like what Luke did with his uncle in their life group or their next door neighbor, but together we figure a way to do bridges, right? But in our bridges, we're really intentional about moving people to our weekend service, our weekend service. So we're keeping in mind that because we're working outside, not only are people inviting their friends, but we did all kinds of things in the community and said, hey, come worship with us on a weekend. So we're constantly remembering that the people we're talking to are the Lukes of the world. If I use words like propitiation, all these kinds of words, they go, what does that word mean? Now, at the same time, I've got believers. So I'm not going to not use the word propitiation because it's a biblical word. But I'm going to explain what it means. I'm going to say, hey, Jesus is our propitiation. But here's what that means. I'll say, Jesus is our Lord. Right? But that Lord concept is, is it, it, you know, how does that work? So I'll use the biblical because I have Christians. And I want our non-Christians to learn biblical words. But I also keep in mind, I've got people coming in all the time that are Luke's. They're not going to understand why we're doing what we're doing. So we clearly explain in the weekend service a couple of things. Whatever the message... Whatever the message, it's built-in questions for our life groups. So our leaders come listening with questions built in for the people in their life groups. All right? And so we also say, hey, in this crowd, there are life group leaders. There are people. We want to invite you to take the next step to become a disciple of Jesus. And I know you have many questions we have people that want to do life with you, want to answer those questions. You might be struggling. You might be whatever. All right? So we invite people into the life groups, but we also invite people into recovery. I am a, I am a recovered alcoholic. I don't, I don't know if you're really ever recovered as if you never are tempted again because there are still days where I'm like, man, I'd like to drink today. I'm working with people. All right? Um, and so, but I think... Um, honestly, this is a true story. When I first went to church, I was like, I was not fine. I'd been sober like a week. I hadn't beaten anybody up in like three days. Girls situations, all kinds of stuff. And, and I'm, I'm lonely because I'm finally the point where I got to walk away from my friends. And I come to church and everybody's fine, fine, fine. How you doing? Oh, fine, brother. Fine, sister. And I'm like, okay, I must be a freak. I must be a freak. And it was only till later on, and some people invested in me. I was like, okay, they're all struggling with something too. They just put on their church face. But in AA, I got to say, my name's Jim Putman. I've been sober 21 days. Or I'm Jim Putman. I've been, I fell off the wagon after 42 days. 
And people are like, Jim, we're so glad you came and your sponsor's calling you. How did AA get all the discipleship biblical stuff and the church lose it? <laughs> See, I think we're all recovering. From, we're all struggling with sin, every one of us. Can I get an amen on that? And so my addiction issues may be different than yours, but when we talk like and look like we're all perfect and, 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 and you know, we got to protect our testimony, you know, uh, I, it do, that doesn't help people like Luke or me or the lost person out there. And it's not even real or true, by the way, because I've been Christian a long time, but I still get in a fight with my wife. Anybody else in here still get in a fight with their wife? Are you just that mature? <laughs> All right. So we invite people to the next step. And, and so we've got the, the bridges outside the walls collectively. We've got the weekend service. We invite them into our what we call our mid-sized group. So that might be a recovery group, a pure desire group, which has to deal with uh, sexual sin. Uh, men's, women's groups. They're mid-sized groups. Right? At the same time, we invite them to the small groups. So you got mid-sized groups, you got small groups. So we have big groups, mid-sized groups, small groups, and then life on life, which we don't have to organize. We shouldn't have to organize that. If you're a mature disciple maker, you'll use these different groups appropriately, and you're involved in them. But, you, but when it comes to dealing with your struggle, you might talk about it in your recovery group, but you might talk about it with a friend in the recovery group who you can be honest with, who loves you and knows you and you do life with. You're leading these people into different environments. Now, the big struggle that you face is you, you want each of these people. If I've, got a, if I've got the weekend service folks, first of all, nobody in, that stands on that stage isn't in a life group. Not a recovery person, not a, not a uh, worship person. If you're not in a, in a relationship, I won't let you on that stage because in my opinion, you're not ordering your time rightly around discipleship. You're not, you're not mature. Therefore, I'm not going to celebrate you by putting you on that stage. I don't care what you sound like, what you celebrate people aspire to. So I'm going to celebrate the people who are making disciples who make disciples. Doesn't matter what uh, niche they're in, okay? So these, this has got to move people to that next step. It might be here, it might be here, it might be the 101 class. Our 101 class is our membership class. And that talks about our theology, our purpose, our mission, how we're organized, how it works. Right? And by the way, I don't really have to, many of you heard Luke's story. When Luke went through the 101 class, he didn't get raised in the church. So when we said there's one God and three persons, the Trinity, he went... Gotcha. When we said you're going to get baptized because that's, that's what you do, uh, that's the first church, he went, got ya. He wasn't aware that there were battles about baptism. He wasn't aware that there were battles about any of that stuff. So our big person, reason for our one-on-one -on -one class is not for the unbelievers, although that, that helps. It's for believers that come from different teams, different ways of doing things, who if you put them all together in the same room without lining some things out, they cause nothing but trouble. It's Christian people that want to fight about 50 different doctrines. Non-Christian people don't know anything. Does that make sense to you? And so what we do in that class is we say, let me tell you the three, for those of you who come to our church, and by the way, we have an average of 14 denominations, let alone unsaved people in these classes. And I, and I go, is there, is there potential for a problem with 14 denominations in the same room? And they're like, oh, yeah. And I said, oh, so let me tell you where we're at. 
here's the salvation issues. Here's the issues that are non-salvation issues, but here's how we're going to handle them. So um, we have people on our staff that speak in tongues, some that don't. But in our church, this is how we're going to handle that issue. If you don't like that, go to a different team. But we're going to be aligned. We're going to run by the same playbook. We have people that are eternal security people and people who are not. But here's how we're going to handle that. If you don't like that, I'll, I'll introduce you to the pastor that believes the way you believe. doesn't matter how talented you are. Unless we are aligned speaking the same language, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Therefore, I, am, I, I use this as a filter more. This is for the person who says, no, I have to speak in tongues. Or the person who says, or the person who says, if you speak in tongues, you're of the devil. Right? Either way, I'm like, okay, here's what we believe. I'm not going to put you in a life group so you can blow up a life group. I'm actually got a filter designed to protect the people that are down here in these groups from these people who are going to come in and want to start a fight everywhere. We want you to know what we're about on the front end before I put you in any sort of leadership, in any sort of direction, because you will divide us. And we're gonna, we want you to know ahead of time, before I put you as a children's ministry worker, I know we need them, and rather than just put you in there, and then you know, four months later I might preach a sermon on baptism, and then you're like, well, I don't believe there's one drop of water in baptism, and I didn't know you guys believed that. Now you start arguing with somebody in the, in the children's ministry, or you made friends with them, and now there's three of you that are going to leave because you're all mad. No, I want you to know what we're about before I ever put you in any sort of leadership or any sort of place where you could cause division in the church. Make sense to you? So what is the purpose of Sunday morning? Well, we will celebrate what God is doing. We will challenge people and we will move people to connection. Big three. Celebrate what God is doing. Challenge people to grow and connect them to the next level. Again, I, here's the deal. I'm for having as, gr as good a weekend service as I can have. In some of the books that I've written, I talk about the church as a show. And you put on a sh the same show, you know, it doesn't matter. I can watch uh, Star Wars a, a couple of times, and it doesn't matter how excellent it is, I get bored real fast. The church isn't a show. But at the same time, I'm not saying I'm not for doing things well. When we first started our church, we had one guy who could play guitar that he learned one year before. And a couple of acapella singers. That's what we had. As we got better and more people came, we were like, I want somebody who can actually play guitar and maybe a drum. And maybe people are like, we're not about a show. I, it's the heart of the people up there that make it a show. We want to have as excellent as we can have to worship God and use all the gifts. But ultimately, every bit of what we're doing is moving people to the next level. We want them in mid-sized group. Maybe they want to go to a small group. We want people in the one Can they be in a small group without going to the one-on-one -on -one group? Yes. But when they start asking questions, every one of the leaders in our group goes, hey, you need to go to our one-on-one -on -one class. I'll go with you. That's what happened with Luke. His small group leader came with them. Right? Now, everything goes down to groups. In our groups, we have... Our life groups go together for the most part, men and women, but then we have breakouts once a month. Men go over in one group in the upstairs in my house, and the women get to stay on the nice plush couches. And then I have a men's group that meets Wednesday morning with the same guys. So I have a men's group Wednesday mornings. Wednesday night, we meet together as the couples, usually together, once a month separate. I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. But... Uh, um, 
Everything leads down to relationship in our church for the purpose of discipleship. Everything. Because every, the funnel has to funnel here. And then these people, as they're going through this, now they start plugging in. I'll help in recovery. I want to, I want to, I, how did Tim meet Luke in the foyer on a weekend service? I said, hey, you need to be in a life group. Tim's in the foyer looking and he sees Luke. What does he invite Luke to? To his small group. And then he takes him to the 101 class. Everything is lined up to lead to relationship. Now, by the way, we do one other thing that's super important. We do what's called the 301 class. And you can take the 101 class and be a member, but we break every year into seasons. So our life group system starts in September and it goes through uh, uh, May. Now, the, the life groups still get together to go camping and barbecuing and all the stuff that Luke talked about. They go outside of that. They're friends. They don't want to stop meeting, but it's not as consistent because in North Idaho, when the sun comes out, poof, everybody's gone. <laughs> right? We have 50 lakes and 50 miles, not counting rivers. It's beautiful. People are like, gone. Sun, no snow. Okay, um, we break them into seasons, and then before life group starts again, we bring all of our leaders back, and we go through the 101, through the 201, through the leadership covenant, what you're going to agree to do, and you sign it again. Now, why do I do that? Why do we do that? Well, I'm a sports guy, okay? In sports, I may have played football last year as a freshman, but as a sophomore, everybody comes back. You got new players, and you got the old players, and they go back through. Here's the system. Here's the coaches. Here's the expectations. You have to sign the covenant of behavior. You're not going to party during football. Why do they go through it every single year? Well, because people change and forget. New people come in. They don't go, well, since you came and did the playbook last year. Listen, if you do a membership class and they took it six years ago, they don't remember what they, what they read. Plus, they've probably read from a bunch of other spiritual coaches like John MacArthur or Francis Chan or Jim Putman, who has a completely different system speaking into it. We live in a really hard context to, uh, in the Christian world because our people are listening to podcasts, listening to radios, and some people are emphasizing this and de-emphasizing that, different coaches, and then we come together and try to get a bunch of people together to work together with the same language, but it's being infiltrated even by well-intentioned people all the time. How do we stay aligned in this crazy world? Does this make sense to you? And, and they're going to sign it. Well, there's no signing. I just had one of our guys that I discipled for a while and gave him a small group, and he led a little coup because they don't want to sign the 301 again. I went, all right, well, you're not leading. You're not going to let me lead? No. You signed it four years ago. You signed it three years ago. You signed it two years. Now, all of a sudden, you've grown so much that you all of a sudden think this is ungodly and unspiritual because I make you sign it. My word should be enough. Well, if your word's enough, sign it. Your attitude tells me that though you're here and you say you believe the same things, you no longer want to be under authority. And this is a chance every year, the 301, to gut check you. What kind of a, are you still coachable? Are you still going to be a part of what we're doing? Or are you changing because people change? 
like a rancher. You not only got to put up the fences, you got to walk the fences. So those doggone cattle. And I try to get the outside and bust down the fence. And the elk are trying to get in the, in the pen and bust down the fence. And it's hard to keep everybody going in the same direction when you've got all, you've got the devil, you've got the flesh, you've got other well-meaning intentioned coaches speaking into your guys. How do you keep people aligned? But I want you to know this. Without alignment, you do not win. Making sense? Now, again, 20 years, never had a church split. Oh, we've had problems. People... But alignment and team is of utmost importance. Every single piece leads to the next thing organizationally so that we're keeping the definition of spiritual maturity the same. Our vision, mission, and process is the same. We're working together. We're testing people's hearts before we give them leadership roles because we know people change. We're, we're, you've been through 301 10 times, I guarantee you, you could, we're going to have you teach 301 because repetition is the key to learning. And the more you hear it, you move from, yeah, oh, that's new to like Luke, you know, that's new. I never heard that. Okay. To, yeah, I, I recognize that. I've heard that before too. Now I can teach it. And now you're flooding into your system, a bunch of people who understand it and can communicate it, which leads to promotion and protection of what you value. Does this make sense? This is coaching 101, folks. And it's interesting to me that the, the, no good sports team would ever do what most churches try to do to keep a team together or to make disciples. You guys all right? All right. Now, this is all in uh, real-life discipleship. It's in Disciple Shift. It's in all those things. And DS1 talks a lot about DS2, really punches down on this. But we're trying to help churches become teams that create cultures that it's like a factory. You put all the stuff in there, and then at the end of the day, uh, you come out and you see you're supposed to be making, let's say, Volkswagen bugs. All the material, the conveyor belts, all of it. And you get to the end of the day where out comes something, and you go, it's a vacuum cleaner. Either change what's going on inside so that Volkswagen bugs come back or just rename your factory a vacuum cleaner factory. What are we producing? We're not producing disciples, mature disciples who can make disciples in the church in America. And it's time to start reevaluating the way we're doing things. Thank you, Jim. Can we give it up for Jim? Thank you, buddy. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to go to the Q&A session. On your table, you have these blank 3 by 5 cards. Any questions you got, write them out. We'll flag some questions for the next uh, 18 minutes. Also, if you're interested in uh, the graphic, usually, we'll usually get requests. The wheel, last session, the graphic of the funnel. On your table is uh, a card. Uh, just put your address there. In the other section, just put, hey, I'm interested in receiving the graphic or whatever, and we'll... we'll We'll send it to you. So that's going to stop a lot of the emails you'll send us. So we'll we'll contact you if you do it that way, if you want it. And if you're also interested in the other any of the other things, check a check a box, leave it on the table. We'll pick it up. All right. Here's one thing that I, uh, I appreciate about both uh, what Bob and Jim were sharing. As a small group leader, um, here's what was cool. I didn't. I, uh, when I when I got asked to lead, I was I said no right away because I wasn't didn't feel qualified. When I went through the 101, it was interesting to hear all this theology. When I started my group, here's what I was really thankful for: that the leadership took a stance on things. Because right away, people came into my group, 
And I'll never forget this. One of the specific things was this. One of the guys, we were reading, we were doing a study, just reading through God's word and how does this apply to your own life. And this one gentleman I didn't know that well just came to our group and he goes, well, you know, once saved, always saved. He goes, but because I believe you can, and he totally really wanted to argue theology. And I felt fully supported by the leadership at Real Life when I said, hey, that's not the purpose of our group. The purpose of the group is not to d- debate theology. He says, well, of course it is. Of course, that, that's what this is all about. I said, no, that's actually not what this is about. We're going to learn about God. We're going to learn about each other. We're definitely going to understand God's word, but we're not going to sit in debate. I go, because I got people in my group that don't even know the Lord, and they would be bored to death. I said, if you have questions about theology, hermeneutics, whatever it is, on Sunday, you can sign up for a class where we have PhD. We have all the best teachers that can teach you whatever you want. The purpose of home group is... And so I appreciate it. I have the support to say that and the clarity to say that from the real life team. That was really helpful for me. All right. So here we have, in case you don't know, this is Brandon Gindin. Brandon Gindin uh, planted a church. He was on staff at Real Life Ministries in Pulse Falls, Idaho. Felt called to plant a church in Houston, Texas. Planted a church about three years ago. And when you do discipleship this way, it starts out slow because it's heavy on the people investment. And then it has a little bit of a J curve. And so it's really cool. You end up with a lot of really good problems like new believers, you know, and how does all this work? And so it's awesome problems to have. But you also have the problems Jim was describing. A lot of people coming to your church bring in their idea of church. And so that takes time and, and care and a process and a system to work through. So Brandon, thanks for being here, man. All right, what are some questions you have? I'm gonna throw one question out as I collect these cards. So here's a question. As you describe these different environments, you said, uh, Jim, specifically, you said, when it comes to um, healthy healthy home groups, naturally some things happen. You got a men's and women's. Maybe talk more, what do you mean by that? Or whoever. Uh, whoever. whoever, okay. Yeah. Well, I just slapped my gums plenty. Brandon just got here, so yeah, guess Brandon. what? Brandon. Yep. Okay. Ask it one more time. Okay. So uh, we, get, we got a lot of questions that were like, uh, what's your one-on-one discipleship curriculum? How do you get to the one-on-one? Now, where is that at? And I know Jim kind of addressed, he said, well, we put people in a home group, and as they grow close, here's what naturally happens. Maybe describe how, how that happens. Yeah, I think... Um, in the small group environment, that's where I'll identify those relationships to where there's one or two specific people that I'm going to really pour into, and we will meet outside of that group. We coach a lot of churches in this area of under, understanding small groups really uh, intro the environment, start the environment, but life-on-life discipleship, that, that does happen in the small group, but to really pour into, it's really kind of a one-on-one or one-on-two. Um, I know some churches that are doing some things called triads, um, one disciple maker with two that's having a lot of success, really um, uh, creating some depth in that. So that's some things that we do, but the small group introduces that, um, and that's kind of the starting point. Excellent. Good question. Here's a, a good answer, decent answer, decent, decent. decent. Okay, B next plus. question. How do you get disciples to make disciples and multiply? Well, it's Jesus' job to change their hearts, right? So he's the one that's got to bring the conviction. I think the, the thing that we've tried to do and I've tried to do is, is you know, in you know, I was talking to some uh, young leaders earlier 
of saying it's so important that you, we talk about defining the relationship, that, they, that the person you're discipling understands that they're being discipled. And a lot of times, like when we were having this conversation with our staff, they're like, well, you know, I mean, but I don't want them to think that, you know, it's this or that. I just want it to be organic and all this stuff. And, and, and you got to come back to, I, I, so I, was, I would always ask my staff, I want to know who you're discipling, who you're developing. All right. So those are questions I'd be constantly asking them. And, and so they said, oh, you know, this one, I'm discipling so-and-so. I said, okay, great. Um, you know, and then want to know where they are. Where do you think they are on the wheel? You know, what are you doing with them? How you, what, what's the conversation you're having with them? Those kind of things. Well, I saw this dude at a coffee shop and I said, oh man, I said, I'm so excited to hear that, you know, so-and-so is discipling you. And he's like, what? He goes, I thought we were just hanging out. Right. And here's the reason why this is so important. It's not that that in and of itself is bad. It's the fact that if you're wanting them to go reproduce something, they need to understand that this is a discipling relationship. I sit down with them and ask them, are you wanting, you know, I'd be interested in discipling you. Are you willing to be discipled? Yes. Now, just so you know, I want to know what your expectations are, and I'm going to communicate what my expectations are. And so you lay it out. The goal is you're going to reproduce. You're going to go make disciples. You're going to go do what I've done with you. And so in that process, you're setting the bar of expectations of you're going to reproduce or this is going to be, a, this really isn't worth the time. We've, we've got to, you know, fill, fulfill the mission that Jesus gave us. And so in that beginning thing, you're having that conversation of setting the bar of expectation of reproduction. And then you're, you're pouring in and investing in them to what, to what you want to see eventually reproduce. Each week uh, with my staff, every single time we meet, I open up with that question. Who are you discipling and how is that going and what can we celebrate? Um, let's celebrate the wins that you've had this week. And we share those wins about what's going on in those that we're discipling. So it keeps it in the front of the mind every time. And, and I'll ask if uh, our staff, I ask my elders, does that person know that you're discipling them? Um, and sometimes, gosh, I never thought to ask them. It's just, it's this constant, um, Jim used to call, call it a, a dripping. It's banging the drum. It is a constant over and over. And I, I used to tease Jim about this until I was a senior pastor. Now I apologize to him for it. Is I, you, It feels like you get tired of saying it. Jim would finish on a Sunday morning or get ready to preach. And he'd be like, do I have to say this again? I'm like, yep. Every Sunday, Jim, you need to talk about it in some form or, or other. You ha it has to be all that you do. And so we talk about it all the time in every circle that we're in. Otherwise, people drift, they get distracted, they assume, they, you know, it just, it, it's constant. One of the things that, oh, that Jim did on that note, I loved it when Jim shared a celebrating story on stage of a home group person seeing their role and working through conflict and keeping unity and, and you know, kind of dying to self. Because as a home group leader, I'm like, yeah, that's actually what we're doing. It's really cool. So I appreciated Jim sharing those kind of stories. Um, one of the things that... Uh if you listen to Shadonke and you listen to um, a lot of the missionaries, they'll talk about you go and you pray for a person of peace. When you go into a town, you're looking for a person of peace. Now, what they're really saying is when you go into a town, you look for someone who's willing to hear you that God's showing you as a, as a launching pad, correct? It's the same in discipleship. Um, one of the things that pastors will do is they look at the mass numbers and they try to create a system for mass numbers. Understand this. Jesus never reached the mass numbers. 
in his, the way he did it. He was turned down way more than, than, than uh, you know, and, and at the end of it, they all ran away. So Jesus was a complete failure. <laughs> or he wasn't. He went with the people that would go. When the rich young ruler wouldn't come, he didn't say, no, wait, 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 I've got to make you be my disciple. He's like, all right, who's, who's still here? When Jesus in John 666, it's an interesting number, it says those who believed in him no longer followed him because they said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, will you leave me too? Where else will we go? Peter said, you have the words of life. Did I not choose you? Okay, so quit thinking, you are creating a system where people can be discipled. But you never expect everyone to be discipled. That's not even, you can't do their part. And people, no, you don't, it, it, when, when they're coming to church, but they won't take the next step no matter what you say, what do you do? You just keep saying it. I got a guy who's leaving for Fiji with his wife. He was a, a, a wrestling coach and his wife, I met her at a wrestling coach, 20, uh, at a wrestling tournament 20 years ago. And I asked her if she was a believer. She said, yes, but my husband's not. You should invite him to church. So I invited him to church, but really what that meant at that point was I invited him to my life group. So he started in my life group. He, he gave his life to the Lord, kind of, but he was really flaky. And he, he, he would come every once in a while, and finally they, they, she would try to be persistent, but he was not spiritually leading. Pretty soon she's following him. So I, I, he'll tell you the story. I wrote him a letter, both of them a letter. I said, Dave and Tina... When you gave your life to the Lord, I was so excited. And I watched you change, but I have watched you reprioritize wrestling. And wrestling is a good tool, but it's a terrible God. I worship that God. And it almost killed me. It'll kill you too. Jesus has a better plan for you. Never heard from him. And uh, about uh, three months later, they showed back up at church. And some stuff had happened in their life that brought them to their knees. And, they, and they, gave, they came back to the Lord. Three weeks later, their son was killed in a motorcycle accident. And the life group that they just started going back to, a different life group, supported them, cared for them, walked them through the whole thing. I was there the night at the hospital. My son was a drug addict, and this was the guy he was living with. Because he, had, uh, he was couch diving because he had run from my house. Now the kid's dead. My son was devastated. So we walked through that whole process. These two are leaving for Fiji in two weeks to be missionaries in Fiji. Now what if I had quit doing services, quit doing life groups because, uh, or not kept those things going? You have people that it may be five years of them sitting there, but sometimes seeds are planted. The Lord brings it to a place where now it matters. So what do you do in the meantime? Well, you keep doing the other things you're doing, pointing them to the next state, step, and the people who emerge that go there, take them. But, but don't get so upset about all those who don't, thinking it's never going to happen. It may never happen. They may never move forward. But you keep, you're still, they're coming, they're hearing it. The Lord is not done with them, and it's not all you and what you're doing. They have to choose it. But when you unleash the hound of heaven on them, he will bring them to their knees. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you keep doing what you're doing, 
But as people emerge, you go with them. And it's, sometimes it's the most unlikely people that you don't think are all that important. But the, the disciples Jesus chose by the standards of the world were not people that the Pharisees would have ever chosen. And God changed the world with them. It's good. It's good. Next question. It's a great question. Weekend services, bridges, mid-sized groups, small groups, life on life. How can we, the church, do all this and work 40 hours a week, go to Sunday school, Sunday services, and prayer meetings? Is the question like, like asking like one person? How does one person do all that? I think so. How does one person pull off building all that and getting all that going? Um, see, that is right now what that's telling me is that you're thinking in terms of a young adult. You're gonna, your job is to, to do all that. No, it isn't. Your job is to know it needs to be done, but look for people to develop and, and they help you do all that. You do it together. Not everybody does all the same work. You each are a part of the body and you different parts. But I want to say this. One of the things that I think, was it Bob, you'd keep it simple. Um, why would I do a consistent prayer meeting and a life group? That's two separate events. Why wouldn't I do a consistent prayer meeting in my life group? That's one event. You see what I'm saying? See, one of the problems that you have, and this is something that you, you need to understand this, it takes time to develop relationship, doesn't it? When you have your people doing men's groups, women's groups, uh, and they're different groups, and then a life group, and then a prayer group, and then their church... They, they, they don't have, and it's always different people. What you're doing is you're building a system where the best they will ever get is surface-friendly relationships. See, the reason we do breakout men's and women's from our life group is because it's the same men I'm in life with group with, but it's now it's a men's group, so I'm actually going deeper with the same people. And rather than have them do two nights a week, I'll have a seven in the morning before they go to work, and then it's the same guys in the evening. And then once a month we break out. So I'm going with the same, it's different activities with the same group on the same times so that they can do all these things uh, all that they have to do. They have a job. They have a life. We build systems for them and separate them so much and have them doing so many things that doesn't take them deeper. And they just end up with surface relationships because we built the system to provide that. Does that make sense to you? And so I'm, not, I'm asking them to go to church on the weekends and be in a life group. That's it. I'm not going to do some, if I do some big organizational thing, it's going to be once or twice a year because if they want to do a service project, why do I have to manage it for them? Take the same pe people in your life group and do what they did and go serve somebody. It's the same people they're doing life with. If they, it, rather than do a prayer event, we do a worship night a couple times a year. But if they want to do worship, why aren't you doing it in your life group? It's one night. Just this week, just pray and fast. And I'm not spreading them out so thin. If I'm going to do a training, do it early in the morning. Or you know, have your leaders come uh, do three, four nights, uh, four Wednesdays a month. But one of them, you bring your leaders together. The other three, uh, you let the, the, the leadership, leaderless groups do dinner together. And they're hanging out, and you bring their leader, and you coach them on the same night they would normally be in a group anyway, so you're not spreading them out doing two things 
instead of one thing on the same night so you're not asking for them to do more. If I'm going to do a training, why not make a podcast they can watch anytime they want instead of making them come to another leadership event? It's just simplifying life so that they can have relational discipleship, which in my opinion, the conversation I've had with Brandon while we're hunting and doing life together to train him was more important than doing any conference I ever did with him. And real quick, just to say, so go back to the target. That's where organizational relational alignment is absolutely critical. Everything that Jim just said falls through those, and even philosophical, it falls through those, those rings. And so that's why you got to keep coming back. Why in the world would we have all those things? You can't possibly have the depth and value of relationship if organizationally you're doing way too many things. And so one is now in conflict with the other versus it's supporting the next ring. No, it's good. You want to say something, Brandon? Go ahead. I think also just look at, you have to stop and evaluate your programming. Like how many other things are you doing that takes away from disciple making? How many ministries and sacred cows and things that you're funding that at the end of the day does not equal disciple making? And then you have to have the courage to either change that what you're doing so that it does fit in or cut it. Tell them what you did with Sunday school at uh, the Met. Uh, we started out with first, um, the shortened version is uh, allowed it to be there, had it there, but can, uh, continued to vision cast for small groups. We just didn't end it, but then we started to change it over time. And slowly over time, we had leaders go, hey, we want to be in small group and shift the ministry over time. Um, sometimes I've had churches come in and go, well, we're just going to stop Sunday school. Then you hack off a third of the church or whatever it is. And, it, and, and so slowly over time, we helped move. And some of those Sunday school classes actually just became some of the strongest life groups in the, in the church. They just changed their focus on what the, what the target was. But it took some time. What's, I remember one of the uh, things you guys did with that, that that was really brilliant. I'm just going to mention it, is you guys met with each one of the Sunday school teachers and said this, and it was really powerful. You guys said, you, you teachers did exactly what we asked you to do. You guys nailed the target. Awesome job. And then you guys really affirmed them well. And then from there said, we want to go in this direction. We're not canceling all the Sunday school. We're, we're going to start small groups, relational environments, go in this direction. But you need to hear this, that you did exactly what we asked you to do. Great job. So they didn't think it was wrong or what just happened with all that history, what's going on. So it was really good. To, that was really encouraging. And then yeah, you they, guys invited. They even, they even kept calling it Sunday school, but they just did it different. They're like, rather than me just doing all the talking, we're going to get into groups, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead a discussion. So we didn't change the name. We just changed the way we did it. And then we broke it. We go, rather than me doing all the talking, I'm going to ask somebody else to lead a little circle of people over there. And they actually broke it into a little small group thing. And then they said, hey, this week, rather than meeting on Sunday morning, let's meet Wednesday night. So one time a month. But they strategically moved the way they did things and started including others. So it wasn't just how many came to my class. It's how many started to actually lead a little mini group inside the group. You know, and pretty soon they're like, well, let's just do it. Hey, I really liked it in the house instead of Sunday. See, now some of them went, no, we liked it Sunday morning. Okay. All right. Go right ahead. Love you. But go with the goers. And they, cha- they were able to change the church strategically. Jesus said, be shrewd as a serpent and peaceful as a dove. 
You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Make sure to check out the free primer for The Death of Discipleship by Jim Putman and Chad Harrington by going to discipleship.org slash relational. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources on our site as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.